What up, what up, what up? Hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I just want to let you know, I know everybody can't always support and donate uh, to the podcast, but hey, if you can do a one-time donation, I put up a buy me a coffee uh, link in this description of the podcast. So if you go to the description of the podcast, it'll be at the bottom, and you can just uh, go to that link and you buy me a cup of coffee, or two if you want. And uh, that would just help support the show, and uh, I can... I can wake up a little bit more and bring you more info so thanks for listening to the podcast if you can donate that would be much appreciated and let's get on to the show this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker you'll find what you came for here and more so ask yourself what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back, guys, to Lockdown Universe, home of the bizarre, peculiar, and unheard of stories of UFO legend and lore. Tonight, I've got a great one for you. This story is about a purple-eyed alien species that abducted three women on the evening of January 6, 1976. I had not heard of this story, but this story is pretty well documented, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So the three women that were involved were from Kentucky, uh, a town called um, Liberty. Okay, So they're from Liberty, Kentucky. The evening was January 6, 1976. The three women involved were Mona Stafford, Louise Smith, and Elaine Thomas, and they would be abducted by an alien species that we have not even come across yet. At least I haven't come across it in my uh, experience. So this evening, January 6th, was Mona Stafford's 36th birthday. They were all going out for a friendly dinner together, and the three friends took their dinner plans to the Redwood Restaurant, which was about 35 minutes from their hometown of Liberty. Okay, So after the three finished their dinner. They thought it'd be nice to have a nice, pleasant drive back to their homes, and little did they know what was in store for them would be a night that they would never and could never forget. So it was a very chilly night, about 38 degrees, and as they were driving home, they uh, it was about 11.15 at night, and they were all in a happy, happy, you know, mood. They were driving in 1970, or 1967, Chevy Nova, 1967 Chevy Nova. Um, and it should be noted that none of the three of them had any liquor to drink, nothing at all. Uh, no drugs, no, no anything. So as they're driving home and they're on Highway 78, the three suddenly saw a bright red object in the clear night sky. So this frightened Mona. And she thought an airplane was actually on fire and headed for a crash landing uh, <clears throat> as this glowing came closer. And then all of a sudden, Smith, who was driving, lost control of the automobile. So you have this Chevy Nova that was going 85 miles an hour. Boy, man, they were really cooking. They probably should have been <laughs> slowing down just a bit. Um, so in a panic, Smith states, I can't hold the car on the road. She screams out, I can't hold the car on the road, okay? 
Mona reaches over and tries to help her, thinking that something's wrong with the steering column, but she can't control it either. And the, the car continued to increase in speed. So what they're saying here is that even though it was going 85 miles an hour, she, she wasn't going that fast. The accelerator continued to go faster and faster. And she, she stated, my foot isn't even on the gas pedal. I can't control it at all. And so this aircraft that looked like it was on fire was uh, coming frighteningly cl close to their Chevy Nova. Um, and now, uh, all of a sudden, three women could see this thing directly behind them. It was enormous. It was metallic. It was disc-shaped with a dome on top with a ring of red lights around its midsection. The three women all saw it close enough to see a yellow blinking light on its underbelly. The UFO hung over the driver's side for a time and then moved ahead of it on the highway. In a second, all three women suffered a burning sensation so strong that they couldn't even open their eyes because it was so irritated. And at this point, this is basically the last memory that Smith, Stafford, and Thomas remember uh, as they got back home. They remember being backed into a pasture entrance in a quote-unquote crazy manner. So it sounds like sounds like something strange happened at this point they were being backed into a pasture entrance at a quote-unquote crazy manor. so the entry to this manor was flanked on both sides by old stone walls okay so imagine being kind of trapped in by old stone walls and being backed in okay so one hour and 20 minutes later the three found themselves back in the chevy back driving towards liberty kentucky and they were shaken and tense with exposed area of flesh and painful areas uh, for the burns, okay? So the three were obviously scared and frightened and kind of shaken up. But when they got back home, they looked at the clock and it was 1.20 a.m. So they left at 11.15. They should have been back by midnight. Now it's, you know, we're talking over an hour, hour and a half that is unaccounted for. So all of a sudden, these women started to freak out, and they immediately went to the house of their neighbor, Lowell Lee, uh, and confirmed the time loss, and he was confused, right? So he calls the police, and the next day, um, they also called the Navy recruiting station. Neither of the two calls helped them at all, just nothing. They got nothing out of it. These two locations that they contacted had no idea. I had no idea how to help them at all, right? I mean, this is, you know, in the 70s, you know, even if they knew something, they're not going to really do a whole lot, right? They might take investigation down, you know, and that's about it. You know, get get some uh, statements down, but that's, that's really all they're going to do. So finally, they were able to figure out how to contact MUFON, and MUFON's investigator was Jerry Black back at the end there, and he immediately went to talk to all three women and ask for an interview. So they were reluctant at first, right? They didn't want to have a stranger in their house, but after a few more phone calls um, and offering his sympathy and compassion for their experiences, the three witnesses actually agreed to have an interview. So uh, we actually have another individual, Miss Peggy Schnell from Ohio, that was in attendance of these interviews, okay? And she felt or uh, Black felt as though this would be uh, very important for the interview because he would have a female presence 
with him, and that would make the other females feel a little bit more comfortable. So after multiple uh, talks and investigations, what they came to find out was all three women started chain smoking. All three women had insatiable thirst after the encounter, and all three women claimed to have excessive weight loss since the event. So they're all having these exact same characteristics, and they all also felt ill effects from the event. Uh, they had burning skin. Um, they had burning, irritated eyes uh, that they couldn't explain. Um, they had pieces of their flesh where they had... Uh, um, uh, near the nape of their neck with blotches of a size of a half dollar. Um, so they had a lot of physical um, sensations. But the eye inflammation is really interesting because I haven't heard that in a lot of uh, abduction cases. So what comes next is really interesting because now they go under hip, hypnotic regression. And now we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of the story. So uh, just before they go under hypnotic regression... Uh, Mrs. Smith remembers that the night she came home, it was a very unusual revelation. When she came home, all of a sudden, her little parakeet, who always was happy, uh, happily greeting her home, now was in sudden abundant fear of Mrs. Smith as she walked through her door. It fluttered its wings in a wild display of fear. And Smith proclaimed that since that first night home, her pet wanted nothing to do with her. So the question was, did this parakeet sense uh, some sort of uh, unearthly aura coming off of Mrs. Smith? Did it have a sixth sense? Um, further tests were conducted in the presence of other birds, and when other people drew near, the birds were perfectly normal. But when Mrs. Smith came close, they also panicked which is really, really interesting. Now, all of a sudden, there's this weird aura around her after the abduction event. So what was also interesting, before we get into the, uh, the hypnotic regression, the minute hand of the wristwatch that Smith wore began to rapidly spin around its dial. And also, the next week after the sighting, when she touched her bedroom alarm clock, it just stopped working. She threw the thing away, and another quirky problem was when she noticed that uh, her car developed electrical problems. When driving to work, she was stopped by police and informed that her signal lights weren't working. And the most annoying problem was her overall health and her weakness uh, was, was continuing to deteriorate. So there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of evidence in this case. Um, and it actually drew... The, uh, the interest of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, right? Everybody knows who that is. And Walter Andrus of MUFON. So they were both informed of the case and wanted to agree to, to get more details from the case. So to get to the regressive hypnosis, finally, all three agreed to go under hypnosis. Um, and Mr. Black started the, uh, the questioning and asked her about, about the events if they were able to see anything that happened. All of a sudden, she starts to say, yes, I can see a face now, but it doesn't seem solid. It seems as though it comes and goes, like it's fading and re reappearing in a fog. Its eyes are far apart, and at the bottom, the chin is like that drawing, like a drawing. 
So at this time, she had remembered pretty much all that she could. She could see a light before she saw the alien's face, and then she saw the alien's face, and that's it. So it looked, it sounds like she was able to see the craft, and then she sees this face that keeps popping in and out. And what's interesting about the regressive hypnosis is sometimes people can see certain things and not everything about the event really populates because there's a lot of layers of memory that aliens will mask their uh, their their evidence with, right? So they'll, they'll put these layers upon layers uh, of memories over the top of their presence in your mind. So in this case... It sounds like she was kind of like almost getting into her memory banks of the incident and really trying to locate what exactly happened. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, because now we get to the point of them actually remembering being on the craft. And all three women were taken aboard some kind of craft and subjected to physical examinations, which they reported were sometimes harsh and sometimes torturous in nature. They stated that there was, there was, uh, it was strictly scientific, however, very, uh, very humil humiliating in the way that they put their positions, their body, uh, the way they were on the table. Um, Mrs. Smith stated she was on a table during her exam, but Mrs. Thomas was in a capsule. I've never heard about this before, but actually being put in a capsule. I've heard of people being shoulder to shoulder with like 40 other humans. But uh, Miss Thomas stated that she was in a capsule with an unusual looking noose-like device around her neck, which would tighten painfully if she tried to speak, which is really interesting because I've never heard of this before. Usually people are just like put out 100%, right? They're, they're not conscious. They're totally unconscious. Um... But to have a noose-like device around your neck that would tighten if you tried to speak seems a bit barbaric to me. But again, we're not talking about any extraterrestrials we've talked about before. We're not talking about greys. We're not talking about tall greys. We're not talking about the reptilians. We're talking about a very different style of alien here, okay? So uh, Mrs. Stafford's exam took place in a chair-like device, and all of the abductees recalled having their bodies scanned. Now, this is another instance where we've heard about this in other abduction events before, and instruments were used uh, which exerted pressure on their limbs. So that makes me think about like a blood pressure cuff or something like that, you know, maybe maybe in a larger scale. Miss Thomas recalled a tube with a bullet-like tip on it, which was probed, uh, which probed her chest, but didn't go into her chest, but probed her chest. And she also recalled a warm liquid being applied to her face and body. So I've heard about that in some abduction events. And even in the movie Fire in the Sky, they, they had like all this liquid all over, um, you know, the abductee's body. However, you know, whether or not they went the extra mile on that one is unsure. But um, Mrs. Stafford also recalled this warm liquid being applied to her face and body. So, you know, what what this makes me think about is like when we have ultrasounds done on Earth and they use like that gel to utilize um, to get a, a better scan. Maybe it's something like that where they put that on their face and their body and they're getting a better scan or this liquid could actually scan the face and body with its own technology.
So now we're going to get to aliens, okay? And I know we're going a little bit long on this one, but it's a very interesting case. So the humanoids, quote-unquote, um, the sessions brought out these other details. The characteristics of the alien forms uh, were very, very, very vague up until this point and usually indescribable. All three women related that they were shadowy figures which floated or glided by them as if they didn't even have feet. They were just gliding in the air. They also recalled frightening eyes, either one eye or two eyes, which hovered over them. Now, was that an alien or was that some sort of like, you know, hovering uh, camera that was like hovering over them? We don't know yet. Mrs. Stafford made an unusual statement in describing an eye exam. I could see a light at the end of the tunnel, or a light at the end of a tunnel, which looked like a volcano with a jagged edge. So this is directly in front of her. She states there's a light at the end of a tunnel that looked like a volcano with a jagged edge. At this point, she described great pain in her eyes, just like they had been pulled out of her head. Think about that. So the, these abduction events, you know, while they're examining us and they're doing what they need to do and getting the information that they need, these guys are really torturing people, okay? So, you know, it it's like, you know, some of these other podcasts I listen to, you know, um, <clears throat> they talk about these guys being our space brothers and these guys being our friends. They're not. These guys are not our friends, okay? Even if you know, they might, people might think that they're helping us and they're changing our DNA to keep us alive. Well, if they're, do, if whatever the case is, they're still causing a lot of torture and a lot of pain uh, for these individuals, especially great trauma to their psyche, you know, subconsciously, of course. But even though it's buried in their subconscious, it comes and presents itself in our consciousness, in our anxiety, in our depression, in our ability to even leave our house. You know, people who become agoraphobic, you have to wonder if for some reason they can't even remember their alien abduction stories and they're just, they can't even leave their house. Why? Because possibly some of these individuals have been abducted and they are suffering, you know, silently and they don't even know why they're suffering. They just know that they can't even leave their house anymore. They can't drive anymore because maybe they had an abduction event while driving and they can't even remember it anymore. It's interesting to think about. I'm not saying that's the case for everyone, but I'm saying that that could potentially be the case for some individuals who are suffering. Okay? Uh, so moving forward, um, another woman named Elaine uh, joined the other two in describing these strange events. She remembered two eyes from a round head in the deep darkness. So again, these, these aliens are really keeping themselves... You know, inconspicuous. You know, they're 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 blending into the background. They're they're masking their their vision, their their ability to be seen. They're hiding in the darkness. Okay, these guys don't want to be seen. They don't want to be known. These guys don't want to have their their presence being told to anyone. Right? This is exactly you know the opposite of being transparent. This is this is being you know being hidden. Okay, so one eye she stated was. A beautiful blue encircled by a blue membranous lid like a turtle and the other eye appeared dark so this is really fascinating to me one eye is beautifully blue with a with a membrane lid like a turtle and the other eye is dark makes you wonder 
what is going on here? What What is happening with these aliens that's causing their eyes to be different colors, you know, on top of this? Or is this just a masked memory or a masked, you know, they're ob obfuscating their, their appearance and causing, you know, confusion in remembering their, their appearance to these individuals. So Luis saw several different forms being, uh, forms of beings. So she saw several different forms of beings during her ordeal, but she was so frightened that she closed her eyes and didn't look at them for, for the most part. However, some months later, she described her vision of the humanoids in a similar fashion as her two friends and adding that their hands looked like jagged winged tips. Think about that. Their hands look like jagged winged tips, so maybe like webbed, right? Like a webbed hand. It would, uh, And it was also a lane that recalled most about their captors at one point stating that there were several small figures about four feet tall. So... Maybe there were a few that were four feet tall. Maybe there were a few that were taller. But the conclusion is that all three women agreed that these humanoids communicated with them te telepathically. Okay, so again, right, we're always talking about telepathy. There's very, very few. I mean, we're talking like maybe one to three percent of abduction stories where uh, the aliens were trying to communicate with some sort of vocal cord, uh, you know, language. All of it. 97, 99% of aliens communicate telepathically. So these guys are just, you know, obviously more advanced than we are. Um, and not once did any of the three women state that any of the entities had any type of mouth. Okay, so it sounds like these guys either didn't have a mouth or maybe just had a slit that they, they couldn't see because their vision was so obfuscated. Um, they also stated a few interesting facts about the craft um, which were revealed about Mona, or revealed by Mona, I should say. She stated that in later uh, uh, t um, regression therapy that she was able to see a square table with a helpless woman on it surrounded by small figures clad in white. The small beings were closely examining the poor woman. And in her words, I'm not sure if the person was Elaine or Lou, or even me. So this really <laughs> begs a lot of questions. You know, was she having an out-of-body experience? Was she seeing her two friends or herself? Or was she seeing a totally different human being altogether? So in summation, that's pretty much the end of the story. They basically, you know, uh, Heineck and Black and a couple of these other investigators basically came to the conclusion that they had been abducted by a flying craft of unknown origin by beings who were unknown to, to humans, um, that it was a large luminous object. This occurred about 11.30 p.m. Um, there were other individuals who witnessed the abduction. Okay, guys, it wasn't just the three women. It wasn't, you know, made up by, by them at all or for, you know, some sort of like alibi excuse. There were other individuals who witnessed this. There were a few individuals who wanted to, re to remain nameless. Uh, there were also two teenagers that were off for a joyride that stated they, they were chasing a low-flying UFO after it hovered over the Angel Manufacturing Plant in Stanford. They chased it all the way down to Danville, and then they reported it to police. So there was a police record. 
So we know for a fact that it wasn't just our three women that got abducted, but there was also a record by these two teenagers that there was a UFO out there that night. Um, and there were uh, a couple other individuals as well that, uh, like I said, wanted to remain nameless. Uh, so we have multiple individuals who witnessed this event and the abductees that participated unwillingly in the event. So it just goes to show you, I know this is a long podcast, I apologize, but it was really interesting to me. Um, and uh, again, we, the eyes of these aliens were purple. So purple and blue, okay, and dark colored. And one alien had blue, a blue eye and a dark eye. And they had webbed fingers and, and hands. So these are, these are just not the, our standard reptilian, not our standard gray, not our standard tall white, not our standard Nordic. You know, um, you know, the closest thing that I'm thinking of here is that, you know, these are like small mothmen or something like that. Um, but these guys masked their, their, uh, identity so well in these poor women's memory that, that we don't know what kind of aliens these guys were. And that just lends more mystery to the story. Anyways, guys, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you don't have to encounter this kind of, uh, an ordeal. Uh, these women, you know, suffered physically, emotionally, um, and socially, and uh, it was very difficult on them. So hopefully none of us have to go through that. But anyway, hopefully you guys are uh, staying safe, uh, taking care of your physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, uh, social health, taking care of your friends and family, uh, focusing on your hobbies and your goals and your dreams, and as always, continuing to question the universe around you. Until next time, guys, take care of yourselves. Lockdown Universe out.